tree don't rise, we're going to finish chapter 30 tonight. How about them apples? I tell you, it's been a long time, but that's okay. We're not in any hurry. And uh, Lord willing, next week we'll be in chapter number 31. And all of you ladies are familiar with that chapter, of course. And uh, uh, we'll get to that hopefully next week. So, six groups of four things and each, each week we've taken one of those groups and and of course each group is teaching a, uh, a different message and making a, a point it's kind of like when we talk about proverbs for example uh, uh, a proverb or a parable a parable has only one actually main thought to it and if we try to, you know, make something out of little, every little detail of a parable, this is where we'll end up. We always have to keep in mind that it's teaching one main point. And uh, whenever we come to these six groups that we've been talking about, there's basically one main point that the writer is trying to drive home. And here tonight in this section, he's talking about four things that are... Well, we, we would call them stately, four things that go well, he says, that are comely in going. And uh, maybe the best way to explain that would be to say these are things that, that excite admiration. They're, they're stately or they're majestic. And, and he's using these things in order to challenge us or encourage us to strive for the very highest level of performance when it comes to our Christian responsibility. And so each one of these, each one of these things that he mentions here uh, is known for something different, but each one provokes admiration of some kind. So with that in mind, let's look at the first one here in verse number 30. A lion which is strongest among beasts and turneth not away for any. Well, that's a picture of fearlessness whenever we think about the lion, but, uh, you know, that's why we call the lion the king of beasts, and boy, they are uh, a- absolutely amazing, regardless of how young or how old you are, to, you know, to go to the zoo and to look at the lions is always something that is fascinating because of all of the different creatures, these remind us of, of something great. And uh, and in the Bible, in fact, they are used to remind us of the greatness of God. And uh, we think about their beauty, we think about their strength, we think about their fearlessness, and all of those things uh, that uh, cause us to consider them to be magnificent. Uh, uh, a lion, as so far as their size, example, they can get 10 foot long. That's not counting the tail, four feet high. And uh, they can weigh as much as 600 pounds. The average lion has a vertical jump, now get this, of 12 feet. 
Think about that, 12 feet high, and that lion can jump that high and run in excess of 40 miles per hour. Uh, he can break a, a, a zebra's neck with just, you know, with just his feet and one big swipe of its paw. And uh, the roar itself, they say, can be heard as much as six miles away. It just reverberates. And so we look at the lion and, and we're just awestruck at the majesty of that lion and its strength and fearlessness. And then we look, notice in verse number 31, he speaks about a greyhound. Uh, and this word, this word greyhound, the literal meaning of it is girt in the loins. It has nothing to do with the color whatsoever. If you had asked me whenever I was a kid, you know, why do they call them greyhounds? I'd say, well, because they're gray. But it doesn't have anything to do with the color. They're girt in the loins. And back, uh, back in ancient history, the Assyrians uh, er erected monuments uh, to them, and, and they were used for hunting. And, and whereas the lion's denoted for its strength and fearlessness, the greyhound is noted for its swiftness. You know, it doesn't have the strength of a lion, and so it has to depend on speed in order to get the job done. Well, verse 31 again, notice he mentions the third thing, a he-goat. And, of course, you know, they're nimble-footed, and uh, uh, the, the he-goat leads the flock over the rough, dangerous terrain. He, he gets where he's going by being careful. It's not that they have great strength. It's not that they're swift at all because they're not. Uh, but rather they, they're, they're nimble of foot. They're careful. And they're the guide and protector of the flock. And so that, those are the things that they're known for. Well, that brings us to number four. And I know you're thinking, man, we're going through these awful fast. Well, there's a reason for it because we'll... We'll try to get down and look at the major meaning of all of these when you put, put things together. Verse number 31, a king against whom there is no rising up. That's talking about a king who is able to maintain control and authority uh, because, you know, of his wisdom, of his power, all of those attributes that would make him you know, secure in his position. And, uh, you know, we could talk about a king a lot and, you know, how, how that relates to us. And, of course, you know, nowadays we know very little about the kings and queens. We have a different form of government and what have you. Uh, but to think about a king being able to maintain control of his people, and that involves a lot of different things. That has to do with, you know, turning back those that would invade your country. Uh, it has to do with trying to maintain order among the people because, as you know, their decisions are not always going to be popular. But they've either got to have the wisdom, the power, or some kind of ability to maintain proper order. Now, whenever we look at all four of these, in each instance, we see something that is to be admired about them. Now, notice they're all different, but each one excels in, in, in one way or the other, and that's the point. They excel in some way. Now, you, you know, I, I don't know I would be lying if I told you that I 
understood, you know, what the writer actually intends for us to to emulate in regards to each one of these. If you know we're supposed to be strong, if we're supposed to, uh, you know, be swift like the greyhound, or so on and so forth. I uh, I I don't know that that's so. I I, I don't see any, any indication that this is what I want. And what I expect from you as a servant of God is when we put all of these together and we think about the fact that each one is different, each one excels in some different way, but, but each one is, as I said at the beginning, is stately. There, there, you see excellence in each one of them in, in different ways, but there's excellent. And we think about ourselves as God's servants, and we're all different. We don't have the same gifts, do we? We don't have the same abilities. We don't have the same opportunities. You know, there's some people that are best suited for one thing and other people best suited for another thing. And, and that's what we see here in these four examples. You, you know, you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't expect to use a, a goat to serve the purpose of a greyhound. You know, the greyhound, because of its swiftness, could catch small game, and it was used for that purpose. You'd look like an idiot if you had a goat out there trying to get it to catch rabbits or something. It's just not, it's not equipped for that. And, and the same thing's true of us. We're, we don't all have the same abilities and opportunities and what have you, but we can all excel in some way to do the things that God designed us to do. Whenever I was studying this several years ago, uh, I have no idea how long, but it's been a long, long time when I first really went through this. I remember the first time taking three years to go through the book of Proverbs. And, uh, and I come to this section here, and I read everything I had in my library, everything that I could find online, everything I could find trying to come up with some satisfactory explanation for all of this. And I was disappointed every time. I just couldn't find anything. And uh, finally, I come across the statement that a preacher that has been deceased, I don't even know, over a hundred years, I suppose. I don't even remember his name or anything about him. But when I came across his statement on this, I knew I'd want to remember it because he hits the nail on the head, I think. And I wrote it down. And I want to take the time to just read you what he wrote in regards to this. Here's what he says as these four things relate to us. He should, said we should aim at the admirable. We ought not to, to be at all satisfied with ourselves unless our walk, that is the manner of our going, is such as to please God and is such as to win men. Our daily lives should not only be consistent enough to save us from self-reproach and from condemnation, they should be excellent enough, that is, admirable enough to attract, to call favorable attention to the divine source of all that we are and have. We should not only worship and live and walk in the beauty of holiness, we should aim to add the things that are lovely to those things which are true, honest, just, and pure, that, by the way, is a quote from what Peter tells us. 
He says, we should endeavor to adorn the Scriptures. That's what Paul tells us. Uh, to adorn the scriptures of uh, the doctrines of Christ, our Savior. Now, when, when, whenever you, uh, I read that, there's one phrase that just blesses my heart and jumps out at me, at me, and that's the phrase he uses: "Aim at the admirable." Now, maybe, maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, "Yeah, but something about that doesn't seem right," because after all. You know, we're not supposed to do things to call attention to ourselves. And the Bible deals with that, you know. Uh, remember the Pharisees put on a big public display because they wanted to call attention to themselves. And man, I'm telling you what, uh, we, we used to call it putting on the dog. I mean, they were dressed in a certain way. They'd stand out on the street corner where everybody could see them. They would use words that made it appear they were eloquent of speech and so forth and just anything they could to call attention to themselves and that's why the lord said what he did about you know whenever you pray you don't stand out on the street corner and do it you go into your closet and do it um so the bible does teach that that we're not to do things that will that will call attention to ourselves but on the other hand, that doesn't mean that we are to isolate ourselves from everybody else. The point is, and what we're to do is, to, and don't miss this, we're to call favorable attention to the Lord, to the divine source of the abilities that we possess. So we do want to be seen, we do want to be known, we do want to be heard, not so we can brag about who we are and what we can do, but rather that it can, it can display to others how great God is. Oftentimes when I'm talking about the nation of Israel, uh, I can't remember exactly where the verse is, but it talks about the fact that God set Israel as a queen among the nations, and he adorned her as a queen that others might behold her beauty. Well, the whole point of that is not that they would be impressed with the queen, but rather they would be impressed with the king who adorned her in such manner. And so the same thing is true of us in our daily walk, in our public walk. Our, our job is to draw attention to the Lord. The Apostle Paul, for example, he spoke about uh, not using certain terms and, and being eloquent in speech and what have you. Uh, he, he, he was determined uh, to use language that could be easily understood and determined to not put on some show of some kind that people would brag on him, but rather that they would brag on the Lord. The, the, the Lord makes that clear whenever he talks about us, you know, loving our enemies, you know, forgiving those that mistreat us, da, 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 and that whole list of things that he mentions in Matthew chapter number 5. And, and so he, he tells these things that we ought to do, but then he caps it off by saying that that ye may be the sons of God. Now, not, he's not telling us this is a way we become the sons of God. Um, that would be salvation by works. You don't become a child of God by forgiving your enemies and loving your enemies and things like that. That wasn't the point. The point is that you may be the children of God that is seen to be such in the eyes of others. 
that they might recognize you to be what you profess to be. In other words, he's saying these are some of the evidences that you are a child of God. And you remember whenever he talks about let your light shine, you remember? Let your light shine, why? That others may see your good works, not for the sake of bragging on you, but that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So that's the point of all of this. Each one of these things that he mentions is different, but each one excels in some way which tells us that we ought to strive for excellence in everything that we do because, let's face it, there is nothing attractive about, about being shoddy and second-rate and haphazard. That doesn't impress anyone. I, you know, I, I remember when it started years ago. When I first started preaching, my pastor gave me some instruction. He said, you know, as a preacher... You, you, you know, you always wear a suit and you always wear a tie. Well, this, you know, I'm not doing that tonight. But, uh, but that's the way I was taught. And you never wear bright colors. You wear a white shirt and you wear a navy blue, black, or gray, you know, or charcoal, something like that. No bright colors at all. Uh, because, you know, uh, in, in, in the mind of the old-timers, that was all vanity. Then there was the what was known as the Jesus Movement started uh, out in California, I think. And the Jesus Movement was, you know, kind of come as you are, you know. I, I don't know whether they took that song just as I am to mean come to church just like you are, but that's what they did. And, uh, you know, I realize God looks on the heart and not the outward appearance, you know. That's where the emphasis is to be, on the heart. But I, th- I do think God deserves our very best. I think we're to be blameless. And so they, they took it to the extreme, I think, in my opinion, based on what, I, on what I've seen. And I've been in services where they were there. I was in, in service in Tulsa, Oklahoma years ago, and there was one of the more famous, one of those Jesus people there. And I'll, I'll never forget, you know, they'd come into the service without any shoes on, and their hair unkept, and just, I mean, look like a bum off of the street. Now, but let me tell you, if that's all a person is God, they are welcome, absolutely any time I would never belittle anybody for that, but I think God deserves the best that we can give Him, and, and and look, we're to be blameless. That is where others can't point a finger at us and bring some uh, legitimate indictment against us for being second rate. I believe I believe that ought to be reflected in in our building, the property and everything that we've got. We ought to strive for excellence that we be not uh, needlessly offensive to other people. We can be offensive enough just preaching the truth, you know, without just letting everything go to pot and being shoddy in what we do. And our lifestyle does matter to people. Uh, believe it or not, you know, if we expect them to be convinced that we have the truth and that we, you know, that we love people and we care about the Lord and so forth, why, uh, they're going to be looking at how we behave. I, 
as I think about the army and that old saying, their motto, uh, be all you can be. Yeah, that's really a good motto, isn't it? Be all you can be. That's a good slogan, I think, for anybody. It, all, it expresses the attitude that we as Christians ought to have. Be, be all you can be. Don't, don't try to be somebody you can't be. Don't try to be somebody you're not. But be all you can be. Don't be satisfied with being less than your best for the Lord. There in Malachi chapter number 1, where the children of Israel is receiving a scathing indictment from the Lord. I mean, he is condemning them in no uncertain terms. And the problem was, is that they were giving him the leftovers. Whenever, whenever you know, it come to the sacrifices and what have you. Instead of doing as the Bible commands, which was to bring him, you know, the very best, the, uh, the, the, the firstling of the flock, and it had to be without spot, had to be without blemish. Instead of doing that, they would bring him some old sheep that was about ready to die and bring that as their sacrifice. And the Lord said, offer that up to your governor and see if he'll be satisfied with it well of course not he wouldn't because he expects what he requires and God requires us to give him the very best that we have in everything that we do I, I, I just I, I, I'm telling you I just almost get fighting mad whenever somebody says I haven't by the way I haven't heard this in years so you're all I think on safe ground somebody gets up to sing a special and they say well you know, I hope I hope you'll all pray for me. I haven't I hadn't had time to practice. I don't I'm not really sure of this song, whether I know it or not. Well, then sit down and shut up. Just don't do it. I mean, if you're not going to do it right, if you're not going to do it the best you can, you know, don't don't get up there and give God the leftover. Sometimes we we, we treat God like he's in the junk business. We really do. Just, you know, here we can't use this for anything else. You know, that's why I learned a long time ago as a pastor, you got to really be careful on people making donations to the church. You know, so we need this or we need that and what have you. And, and you end up, and, and, and I've had this to happen where we, you know, we're, we're going to, for example, uh, uh, we're going to put furniture and stuff, you know, in a room for teenagers and what have you. And so we need these things. Somebody brings some old cou couch that they've worn out and that uh, cats peed on and, that, you know, the uh, the mice in it and everything else, and they bring that and set it in there expecting you to use that. Uh, and we ought to be ashamed of ourselves when we give God less than our best. So let let this be a lesson. We're all different. We We all have different abilities, but we can be the best that we can at whatever we do. And and we owe that to God. Now we come down to verse number 32. Only two verses left. And whenever I looked at this, I thought, well, how in the world does this fit into what we're talking about? Well, I don't know that it's necessarily supposed to fit in, but it is a fitting conclusion to what the writer, not only what he just said, but what he's been saying throughout this chapter. And he mentions four things that I want you to notice. And I, no, notice the problems, the problem that he mentions. Look at verse number 32, and here's the problem, pride. If thou hast done foolish, foolish, foolishly in lifting up thyself. 
pride. Well, how does that fit in? Well, we're all different, right? But we all should excel in whatever it is that we do for God. And it's real easy for us to become prideful in what we do. It's real easy for us to assume that what we do, the kind of ministry that we're involved in, is more important than any of the other ministries. Those of you involved in the music ministry, for example, it's easy to conclude, well, this is the most important ministry. Uh, whenever it comes to Awana, it's real easy for those people because they love it and they're dedicated to it. It's really easy for them to think that that's more important than Sunday school. We got to be careful that we never think of ourselves as being better than someone else and lifted up with pride. Paul said it best when he said it was by the grace of God, I am what I am. And uh, he said, who made thee to be different from another? God didn't make us all of the same. And whatever you are, whatever it is that God would have you to do, you are just as important as, as anybody else in the church. But then he mentions evil thoughts, verse 32 again, or if thou hast thought evil. These are problems that, that develop, I, I think, out of all the different stuff that he's talked about. And then he makes this plea, verse 32, lay thine hand upon thy mouth. You know, in other words, refrain from, refrain from expressing something that will demonstrate pride or something that would declare evil. Put your hand over your mouth, shut up, don't say it. So he's pleading with us to take those steps. Then notice verse 33. Notice the parallel that he draws. And, and this is for the sake of illustration here. He's drawing this parallel uh, between what he just said here in these two examples. Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter. I, boy, I tell you, I, I've got a love affair with butter. I love real, I'm talking about real butter. That's what we ate growing up until the day that my mother died. Of course, back, you know, whenever sis and I, whenever we were there, we'd, you'd make butter in larger amounts. But up until the time that mom died, she still made homemade butter for dad. She'd sit there with a old quart fruit jar and you know, and just shake it back and forth and keep on till she got butter, so he'd have his butter. And uh, just nothing replaces butter. But notice, surely the churning of milk brings forth butter. That's an obvious thing. Anybody knows that, right? But notice, and the ringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. I mean, somebody pinch your nose and just start ringing your nose. It's just a matter of time till it's going to start bleeding. Now, here's the point. Verse 33, so the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. Now, notice that is in connection to pride and evil thoughts. And remember what he said earlier in Proverbs, only by contention cometh, only by pride cometh contention. In other words, where there's pride, there's going to be contention among people. Well, I, you know, that that's true whether you're at home, it's true whether you're uh, in the church or wherever you are. In other words, if we get rid of all of the pride out of the church, if you get rid of all of the pride out of your family, there wouldn't be any contention. Hey, wouldn't that be great? No fussing and fighting and fuming and all of that nonsense, you see. 
So he's, he's telling us here that the irritation of anger produces quarrels or, 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 or contention. I guess the point is don't feed your anger. Don't feed your anger. Uh, it's real easy for us to add fuel to fire whenever, you know, we're upset about something. And if we just put our hand over our mouth and instead of saying things that are just going to prolong it and provoke more fury among people, if we just not say it. Better to, better to say nothing, you know. That's what Mama used to say. If you can't say something good, don't say anything at all. I heard that about 10,000 times. It's good advice, really, you know. Because a lot of times we think, well, I just, I've got to respond to that. No, you don't. You don't have to respond to it. Uh, just uh, be quiet about it. The other day I wrote an article. I don't know how many of you read it or think about it. An article about what I call it, Turn It Around, I believe was the title of the article. Uh, but it had to, had to do with the fact that I mentioned I'm glad somebody started this walk-away movement Instead of responding to the harassment of certain people that just try to provoke you and, and, you know, to create turmoil and so forth, walk away. Walk away. As I've often said, you know, a bulldog whip a skunk anytime, but the stink ain't worth the fight. Just walk away. In walking away, that gives us our best chance to turn things around. Because we're never going to win anybody by arguing with them. You never make a friend out of somebody by beating the snot out of them. That's not, that's not going to make them your friend. You can conquer them in one sense physically, but you're never going to win their friendship. And we, we, you say, well, what, what do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked that because Romans chapter 12 tells us be not overcome with of evil, but overcome evil with good. And since the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance, it's demonstrating goodness to others that eventually will impact them and hopefully bring about a change in their life. Next week, we'll be in chapter 31, and we're going to look at these first nine verses uh, this is the introduction to the virtuous woman. And uh, the, the first part of it, the first nine verses, uh, is uh, a bit different before we get off into all of the details that, uh, that we'll talk about later on. Again, thank you for weathering the storm and being here tonight and being so faithful. We appreciate that. Don't forget to pray for all of those that have been mentioned and... Uh, uh, the unspoken request. God uh, has answered prayer, uh, you know, and we don't want to forget to thank Him for that. Uh, just so you know, uh, I guess it's